Hello, welcome to the show. Today we're going to dig deeper into the collapse of FTX and the role that the Fed and JP Morgan may have played in it. Now, before I get into that, I want to give a little background context of where I'm coming from. So I spent a good portion of this past year digging into what we call ETHgate and the role that the SEC and JP Morgan played in the kind of lawsuit uh, that the SEC filed against Ripple and whether there was collusion and sort of this agenda by JP Morgan to slow Ripple down. So I've, I've written about that, I've made videos about it. That's not what we're going to talk about today, but it kind of set me up with this belief that like the SEC is, they're bad people in it. <laughs> they're not uh, acting in the interests of U.S. citizens and that they will use their power to pick favorites and winners and losers, kind of an effort to promote J.P. Morgan and Wall Street's interests. Uh, I don't think Gary Gensler is honest about his uh, motives. And so I kind of arrived at this place to sort of figure out this FTX thing, kind of with the assumption really that the SEC is not acting in good faith. Now, separately, uh, I have spent a lot of time digging into Tom, Leongo, Tom Luongo's thesis about the motives for the Fed raising rates and kind of tying into the fact that it has really nothing to do with inflation, but it's more about the euro dollar market. So there's kind of a lot of uh, things that are feeding into what we're going to talk about today. But I do want to request one thing of you if you're watching this. I want you to let go of trying to classify any of the players in this saga as good or bad. I think it's helpful to look at this situation like Game of Thrones or the mob, where there are multiple crime families. Each crime family is sort of a member of a cartel. They all have their own motives. They have their own incentives. They have their own set of resources and tools that they use to protect their incentives. There's probably good, decent people in each of these factions, but they will all sacrifice and sort of absorb collateral damage in an effort to protect their ultimate goal. I don't look at any of these people as like on my side or the sort of good versus evil in this particular context, that they are factions of a cartel that are competing with each other to protect their own interests. It's kind of like the game Risk, where you have all these sort of countries and regions, and they're all battling with each other for control over energy and resources and that kind of thing. So just approach that with this idea that you're going to let go of who's good and who's bad. Because I sort of got confused at first when I started this because I wanted to make J.P. Morgan and SEC bad and everyone else good. And that can cloud your judgment and your ability in this situation. So... All right, let's first talk about the fact that George Carlin, I think is a funny guy, sharp guy, he misled us to believe that all of these sort of elite money people were all on the same team. You know, he has this sort of famous quote that there's this club and you're not in it. I don't think it's that simple. Geopolitics is, is more like Game of Thrones and that there are many factions there are times where these factions are aligned with each other and they work together. What's more common is that there, you know, there's multiple factions and sometimes 
two or more factions will kind of work together to fight another faction in sort of this kind of war between the Greek gods type of scenario. And that is what we are seeing play out for at least the last uh, two years. But this goes back, I think, several decades. And one faction that has a particular amount of power is what we call the European nobility, the European aristocrats, uh, which we can shorthand refer to as Davos because they tend to meet each year in Davos, Switzerland for their annual elite (laughs) meeting. Now, this Davos crowd has a couple of qualities that are important to understand. One, they're old money, hundreds of years old. They have a lot of uh, roles within European royalty, like the kings and queens of various European countries, while it's sort of sometimes perceived that they have little to no power. When you have a ton of money, you have power. You have the ability to manipulate markets, pay off things, etc. So this is the old money European crowd. Year, decade, uh, sorry, centuries ago, this crowd colonized countries of the earth. And, you know, I've talked about this in some of the previous videos. Uh, they have some dark qualities to them. I'm going to try to keep this uh, YouTube friendly and not get me in trouble. Let's just say that they are Malthusian. If you're not familiar with that label, Google it. Uh, it kind of explains part of their arrogance and their disregard for all of us is that they see themselves as superior, not only genetically, but in every way, and that their interests far surpass ours. That's not, in, that's not good for us. Trust me, they, the things that they talk publicly that they would like to enact are definitely not in the interests of regular citizens like me and probably you. Now, this group, Davos, they have a lot of assets. They own like castles and land and they own banks <laughs> they own tons of real estate they own lots of gold uh one thing they don't have a ton of though is cash and to pull off the agenda that they want to pull off which is sort of this return to feudalism they need a lot of cash so how do you get cash well when you own a bank you have options now the world though revolves on u.s dollars still and They don't really own any U.S. banks. So fortunately for them, several decades ago, basically after World War II, this concept called the Eurodollar market evolved. And I don't know if it was ever done intentionally, if it just sort of was a byproduct of rebuilding after World War II. But what happened was is countries like China, for example, Japan, they, in their effort to recover from World War II, they started manufacturing a lot of stuff. And that stuff got sold to Americans. That was part of this whole rebuilding thing. And when you're a big exporter of stuff, you get paid in dollars and you have profit. Well, someone like Japan had a choice, right? We can take this profit in dollars and we can uh, convert it back to our own currency on some sort of foreign exchange market. Or we can just sort of put it in a bank somewhere and get yield from it. Uh, This is the euro dollar market has nothing to do with the euro currency and it isn't even really European. It just sort of started there with a couple of banks based out of Europe that let other nations park their money there for interest. Now in the U.S., especially after 2009, the U.S. banks are under pretty strict rules about what they can do with consumer deposits or business, anyone's deposits. They can't go and take risky 
loan, risky plays. They can't issue risky loans or they get in trouble. It violates the rules. So if you are a country and you wanted to make a high yield on your money that you're just parking for the, for a while, you're going to get a better rate if you park it at a bank outside the U.S. So over the last couple of decades, especially since 2009, uh, many of these wealthy countries and wealthy businesses and wealthy people have been parking their money outside of the U.S. so that they could get a better return on their money. Now, what these banks do outside the U.S., they do what a lot of banks do. They take the money that they have and they lend more of it, called fractional reserve lending, and it allows them to kind of get more mileage out of their consumer deposits. So this is how the money supply increases is when banks issue loans that exceed the amount of money they have in deposits and the money supply increases. Now the Fed is well aware that the inflation is an issue and inflation is an issue for a couple factors, some related to supply chain, which the Fed has no control over, but some of it is related to the actual number of dollars that are in circulation. And the Fed has control over the U.S. banks, and they can say to the U.S. banks, we want you to start to park your money here, which is what the repo market is. We want you to park your money here. We're going to give you a good interest rate. We don't really want you lending it out because we don't want to increase the money supply even more. Let's get some of these debts, loans paid off, boom. When you pay off a debt, that money like disappears. But the Fed has no control over what happens in banks outside the U.S. So they can't fix this inflation problem with banks in the Caribbean or in Europe or wherever. So this is a problem for them. But if they raise rates so quickly, a lot of people who have taken out loans in dollars whose primary currency is something else, like say you live in Sri Lanka or Indonesia or something, and you've taken out a loan in dollars, and all of a sudden now the dollar is so strong, you're going to default, you might default on that loan. And that kind of what's called breaks the euro dollar market. All these loans that these outside of the U.S. banks have issued in dollars are at risk of default because of what the Fed is doing. And this will create a problem for these banks, which these European Davos people own. So this has been the strategy, according to Tom Luongo, which I happen to think makes a lot of sense. It's very logical to me. So I'm kind of going with this strategy or this theory for now. Now, if you understand the euro dollar market, you also understand the crypto stablecoin market. They're pretty much the same in that you have real dollars that started out in someone's bank, even in the U.S., and they get pulled out of the U.S. banking system and deposited into another type of bank that the U.S. banking system does not control. And so the exchanges, like FTX, for example, I could take my $100 from my regular Wells Fargo bank account or whatever, move it over to FTX. Now, FTX has some actual cash, and my money gets converted to some kind of crypto token. And this can also feed into a lot of speculative lending. You know, crypto lending was very popular in the last couple of years. The yields were very high, and a lot of fractional reserve lending was going on. So what happens in reality is that $100 can turn into $10,000 very quickly, and the money supply increases. And someone can take this amplified crypto money and convert it back into fiat. And now you have created new money 
that's usable in the real world, not in the non-crypto world. And this kind of contributes to this problem of the money supply increasing and the Fed not having anything they can do about it. Now, Jerome Powell has said publicly that he doesn't have a problem with Bitcoin and that stable coins are the issue. And I think when I first heard that, I assumed that this was a control over the on-ramp, off-ramp thing and that they wanted to make sure that they, that the U.S. banks like got their profit share, whatever. I don't know if it's that simple and it's more, or it actually maybe is simple but in a different capacity, that the Fed has one product. Their product is the U.S. dollar. They want to control their product. They want to be able to increase and decrease the supply as they deem fit to protect their product. I don't know if Jerome Powell, he said this, so I'm going to go with what he said. I don't know if he needs it to be the only global reserve currency forever, but I'm pretty confident that the Fed and Jerome Powell and therefore Wall Street want the dollar to survive. They also know that they are more likely to make that happen if they have control over it. And both stable coins and the offshore euro dollar market are a problem for them. Now, the Davos crowd, they have some sinister agendas, as I've alluded to. One of their agendas is they really want a war. War makes money for them. It's very easy to launder money during war because all of these Taxpayer funds are gone to the war effort. Everyone's stressed and busy and it's chaotic and nobody really follows where the money goes. So they can take that money and siphon off a large percentage of it. This is why some people think Julian Assange got into so much trouble was that he explained that that was the true purpose of the Afghanistan conflict was to keep this endless war of endless money going where, you know, some of it went to legit things, but Huge percentages of it were siphoned off and went who knows where. Probably many places, a lot of payoffs uh, happened from that. And now that that Middle East war with Iraq and Afghanistan is over, the theory, this has been a theory for a while, that they want to create a new war so that they can continue to siphon money. Now, look up that word Malthusian because that also feeds into war and that that objective is met when a lot of innocent civilians are killed, which is very sad. So the Estavos crowd has been pushing for war. They've been poking Russia. They've been poking China. And they've sort of used their agents, let's say, in the U.S. government to continue to poke that in an effort to create a conflict that leads to, to war. Now, if you look at back at this at like Game of Thrones or the Game of Risk, you know, you have all these factions. You have the U.S. Wall Street faction. You have the U.S. White House faction. You have the Davos faction. You have China. You have Russia. These are all separate factions. And there's, there's more that I'm not listing out. There's a lot of these factions. They don't all have the same agenda. And they also call it have spies in each other's factions. It's very easy, I think, to to pay off someone and they act like an agent who works in another faction. So this Davos crowd has been really pushing for war, but not, not none of the other factions benefit from that. You know, Russia, China, and the Wall Street crowd will, would all be damaged by war and there isn't enough upside for them. I mean, China, 
China's hugest trade, largest trading partner is Europe and the U.S. Why would they want to go to war with their cash cow? Uh, Russia, how does Russia benefit from a war? They'll probably lose. They don't have the military strength that the U.S. has. And then Wall Street, how do they profit from war? Doesn't it create chaos and doesn't uh, help their markets, which is the, primarily the middle class. Now Davos, and I said this in a video yesterday, but Davos, part of their agenda in their return to feudalism is to get rid of the middle class, uh, which means there's only the, them, the super duper rich people, and that everyone else is like a serf, a peasant. That doesn't serve J.P. Morgan and Wall Street at all because who's going to get a mortgage and get a car loan and spend a lot of money on a credit card if we're all, in, you know, peasants? Wall Street makes a lot of money off the middle class, so it is very difficult for me to believe they're in support of this great reset agenda because they will be cutting off their own income and their power comes from their money. So if they no longer make any money, how would JP Morgan and Jamie Dimon have a lot of power? This is why when we saw Rashida Tlaib ask Jamie Dimon at the congressional hearing about a month or two ago, whether he was going to stop fossil fuel investments, which is sort of part of this feudalism agenda, he said, no way, it would be a terrible idea which is a public indicator that he is not on board with that Davos agenda. Jerome Powell has also publicly contradicted the Davos crowd. So it's pretty clear there is they are not all on the same page. All right, let's go back to SBF. So SBF uh, had this magical rise to power out of nowhere where he's like this young, geeky kid with very little charisma or personal skills starts this exchange after magically making billions doing Bitcoin arbitrage trading, which is very, you know, if it was that easy, lots of people would have done that. It's not that easy. And he magically creates this billion-dollar business out of nowhere overnight and all of a sudden is the darling of everyone. Hard to, I have a very difficult time believing that story. Just That's just not how it works. <laughs> Usually you have to struggle and work your butt off for a while to build a billion-dollar company. So FTX comes along, and he's got a lot of connections to political people. His parents, his mother specifically, is very connected to political parties. And what has come out in the last 24 hours is that FTX was being used to launder Ukraine money. So what happened was this U.S. taxpayer money goes to Ukraine. Ukraine deposits it in FTX. And it's kind of like a mixing service, a little bit like Tornado Cash, where the funds get all mixed up and then they can get siphoned into various accounts that can then you know, withdraw them out for various purposes. And SBF had been on this bender of buying these other companies. So he was about to have this arrangement where they could not just do this with FTX. He could do it with Voyager. You know, if he was going to buy Celsius, like he could have this whole set of holding company entities where they could be funneling and laundering money um, in a variety of, of different ways. So why would JP Morgan and the Fed have a problem with this? Well, they're massively increasing the supply of dollars by doing all of this leveraging, they call it in finance, with stable coins. And if it turns out to be true that FTX was being used to influence elections and other types of things to serve the Davos agenda, which we've already established Wall Street and the Fed are not on board with that, 
it makes sense that there would be a concerted effort to take down SBF. Now, you might remember if you watched closely on Twitter how this played out. Well, a lot of this started with CZ. CZ, a representative of the Chinese government. I'm not really sure. There's a lot of chatter that he he is aligned with the Chinese government. It makes sense. He owns a very large exchange. Um, so let's make the assumption for now that CZ does represent the inter- interests of the Chinese government. Well, it doesn't really serve China to, for Davos to win and for a war to start. I don't really think China would benefit from that. So CZ and Wall Street may have kind of paired up with each other for the purposes of this initiative, which is to take down Davos, another source of Davos funding, which was this FTX exchange that was being used to launder money and amplify it via leverage to basically fund a whole bunch of payoff stuff that they need to do. So if you want to do like a feudalistic, communistic takeover of the world, it's expensive. Like you got to buy a lot of media. You have to pay off a lot of politicians. Um, you have to build stuff. <laughs> it's not an inexpensive endeavor for a very small group of people to get a very large group of people to comply with an illogical agenda that does not serve their interests. The only way you can kind of do that is through a variety of nefarious tactics, which in, there, which many of which are going to include need cash. Like you need money to do that. And if you don't have a lot of cash, but you own banks and you own crypto exchanges, you can, or you at least have control over them, you can use leverage where you're taking out these cheap loans as a way to pay for all this stuff. And the, the tools that JP Morgan and Jerome Powell have is to kind of shut down the money supply. Now, this this may this is a theory. This may be wrong. There are a lot of data points to suggest that SBF was very much in line with the Davos agenda. If you've watched any of his videos where he talks about being this sort of altruistic do-gooder who kind of donates all of his money to charity and is all about sort of the climate change agenda that the WEF supports, it makes a lot of sense that he is on board with this. Now, one thing that's I don't like about this theory is that I'm a I'm a private equity holder of Ripple and I own a lot of XRP and I've spent a lot of time digging into that. And I'm not really sure how I can see Ripple being on the good side of this fight. Now, they just may be along for the ride because their clients are banks and you can't exactly be anti-bank, central bank, or publicly speaking out against this without getting fired by your clients. So I'm going to, the best case is that they're just quiet because their business model depends on it. But it's also very possible that they are on board with this Malthusian agenda and that they support the Davos goals of removing the middle class and impoverishing everybody. I really hope that's wrong because I do want to like the Ripple people. Um, You know, some of the things that David Schwartz has said do kind of imply that he supports some of that stuff, but I'm still going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. And I do hope that they are good guys in this. Again, I fall into this trap too of wanting to label people as good and bad in this. And who can we trust? Who can we not trust? 
I find that I'm able to see the big picture best when I just let go of that temptation and just say, you know what, there are all of these factions, these sort of cartel members, and they all have their own agenda and their own interests and that they, they'll they all do bad things <laughs> if necessary to protect their own interests, just like the mob would. I mean, you might have really, you might have a mob family that's very generous to the community and supports the Little League team and, you know buys food for the church or whatever they might do good things but ultimately if push comes to shove they will do what they have to do to protect their own interests i think this financial cartel is similar in that capacity so to sort of wrap this up it looks like the fed and jp morgan worked with chinese to take down sbf and to expose this racket this corruption that they were doing um, in attempt to slow down the Davos agenda. I wouldn't be surprised if the midterm elections played a big role in this. Um, Tom Luongo's sort of group of patrons who I'm a member of were sort of dissecting that to figure out what exactly the elections, sort of the part that that played, because the timing is just very coincidental that this happened immediately after the elections. And I'm not exactly sure what that is, so I'll report back on if I have a clear thesis. But uh, I would not assume that this happened randomly. I would assume that the connection between political funding and money laundering with FTX is important here, and that it ultimately ties back to the fact that the Fed and J.P. Morgan, by extension, they want to control the U.S. dollar and that the euro dollar market and stable coins are both a threat to that. It's not really about like profit of on-ramp, off-ramps, which I think might be you know a nice side benefit, but it's more about control over the supply of dollars in the world and that the Fed wants to control those. And they have these two pain-in-the-neck problems, which is the euro dollar market and stable coins that both allow new dollars to be created outside of the U.S. banking system. And that is a problem for them. And so they will do what they have to do to fix that problem. So the next thing to be careful of is that there's another large stable coin that is also a problem for the Fed, which is USDT Tether. So I would be careful to assume that that one will survive and that there won't be any trouble there. I don't know if or when this will happen, but this it doesn't make sense that all these other stable coins would be systematically targeted, yet Tether would be left alone. So I would be cautious if you have a bunch of USDT. It also, as many other analysts have speculated, it also means that if Tether were to go down, we would see a very damaging impact on the sort of crypto markets. Almost every crypto asset has a trading pair with USDT. Most exchanges, especially where you do sort of a market maker type thing, they all trade with USDT. So if all that liquidity for some reason was gone, that would really mess up trading. So just please be aware that that is a possibility. I don't want that to happen, but my goal here is to help everyone stay two steps ahead and sort of look at what the next likely scenario possibilities could be. And it's very... There's a lot of data points indicating that USDT would be next. And and I'm not the first one by any means to hypothesize that. Uh, So you probably have heard that theory elsewhere because I certainly have. But I didn't fully understand why USDT would be so important. 
until I understood that the euro dollar market and these offshore dollar markets are a big problem for the Fed as they look to take control of the dollar supply. And that raising interest rates is a tool that they can use to break some of these offshore markets. They don't affect the crypto market, so that's not an issue there. But if they take out some of these large players or at least control them in a way that the leverage is – I mean, if they kind of broke the crypto market, it would really mess up crypto lending. And like the, the dollar supply would not be increasing because it would be sort of sidelined for a while. I'm not fully clear, to be honest, what the Fed's long-term goal is here. I mean, let's say they take back control of the dollar and now they are able to issue their own official stable coin or they say only U.S. banks can issue stable coins. That's great. And Davos, I have a hard time believing that Davos is just going to like – give up and say, oh, well, we tried. But this might just be an ongoing war <laughs> that's fought for a long time. And if we get a victory against Davos, meaning they're set back, you know, buys humanity maybe a couple of decades at best. So so we'll see. The Davos crowd has been fighting for power for centuries. And here's the thing that I want to be optimistic about is the Davos crowd loses a lot. If they always won, we would still be in feudalism. We would still be peasants living in a shack in the, a field somewhere. Now, some people on the planet are, but there's lots of people who are not. And we have had this thriving middle class, this sort of, you know, internet created lots of opportunity for people to move up and excel in their lives and take advantage of different types of opportunities. And that proves that Davos doesn't always win. So don't assume that this sort of great reset dystopian agenda is a done deal. Even if you've heard some of these... Uh, sort of off-in-the-corner theories about, I don't even want to get into some of them, but there are some sort of people who have who believe it's done and that it's set. And this kind of also ties into the fact that I don't think that the story is over by any means, and that includes my belief that Nasara and things like QFS, I don't trust those ideas necessarily. I think they might be very similar to the Great Reset, and they sort of all end up, taking to the same place where you are, you're not really in control of your own opportunities. Someone comes in, it gives you an allowance. Um, Nasara and UBI are, are kind of the same idea. They're just different marketing angles. And that even includes, you know, Ripple. Like there's sort of this strange thing about XRP that I don't see with any other crypto token at all. And that is this sort of strange connection to the occult. It isn't just one person pushing this occult angle with XRP either. There's quite a few very dark, demonic type stuff, uh, which I don't see anywhere else in crypto at all. And the thing is that this Davos crowd is kind of into that stuff. I'm, I'm not a big fan. Occult stuff is not my jam. I don't really think that the occult uh, is in my interest, let's just say. And so when people talk about XRP being the chosen one, like that sounds sort of interesting and like, but my first question is chosen by whom? Who chose that? And is this tying into all this occult stuff? Like, you know, is Ripple in bed with this sort of dark crowd in Davos? Like, I don't want them to be, but there's a lot of data points that indicate they are. So be careful of assigning good and bad labels to everyone because it can cloud your judgment. 
And as much as I've kind of gotten into this Eathgate thing and assigned the SEC and J.P. Morgan the role of bad guys and that Ripple's this good guy, there's also data points to show that, you know, that team maybe has their their own flaws as well. And getting into this dark occult stuff, you know, that's where the dark side of the Great Reset lives, which is not in our interests as humans <laughs> to want to go back to feudalism. And that is what Davos wants and Ripple is in bed with them. So I want to be wrong about that part. I want Ripple to be the good guys in it, but I can't ignore the mounting evidence that it's not that simple. There may be no good guys. (laughs) There may just be two cartel factions who are competing with each other for power and control, and we're kind of watching that play out. So, all right. I find this stuff very fascinating. I'm trying not to let any of it like upset me or stress me out. I'm going to make the choice that it's an exciting time to be alive and to watch all this stuff. But at the same time, the more we can prepare and anticipate what's coming, the better we can identify opportunities to sort of end up on the right side of how this all plays out. Uh, So anyway, I'd love to see you in my community on Locals, which is twostepsahead.locals.com. And feel free to follow me on Twitter if you don't already at Molly Elmore 22. All right, we'll see you in the next episode.